The last words of the prophet Malachi concern the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. That prophecy is being fulfilled on the very next page in the Gospel of Matthew. It is there that the prophet of whom Moses prophesied fulfills that grossly misunderstood prophecy. Tear out the page of your Bible that says New Testament. Go ahead, tear it out. That page added to your Bible interrupts the continuity of the covenant between God and Israel because on the very next page, we are introduced to the Son of Righteousness who has healing in his wings, literally the tzitziot on the hem of his garment. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is one story. It is his story. It is the greatest story never told. It's all about Yeshua, the prophet, the promised Messiah. Join me here in the land of Israel as we take a chronological and archeological journey through the Gospels. You have never seen anything like this before. I'm Michael Rood, prepare for a rude awakening. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. The creator put the celestial bodies in their courses as a timekeeping device that marks out days, months, and years with accuracy far beyond that which mortal man or even supercomputer can calculate. It is that heavenly timekeeping device that determines the seasons or more accurately, in Hebrew, the Moedim. In the Western world, the concept of seasons is shaped by what ancient Babylonian astrologers called the summer and winter solstices and the vernal and autumnal equinoxes. The Moedim, however, are defined in the Bible as the feast of the Lord, which in turn are expressed as prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. The feast of the Lord, Yehovah, are the timeless mechanism whereby the Almighty tells us the end of time from the very beginning. Embedded in each one of the feasts of Yehovah are precise details of future events that could only be known by a supreme being who is captive to neither time nor space. As a part of their timekeeping function, the heavenly bodies also serve as signs in the heavens that alert us to events on the Creator's eternal calendar such as lunar eclipses, sometimes miscalled blood moons, as well as planetary conjunctions in constellations that are only evident from our position on planet Earth. The signs in the heavens, spoken of in Genesis, are the communication of the Creator to man. These celestial signs were well known in Babylon before the confusion of the languages. The names of all the major stars, constellations, and planets were directly transferred into every language that originally came out of the confusion of languages at the Tower of Babel. And those names remain to this very day. The Hebrew constellation, Betula, became Virgo in Latin and Virgin in English. The star Hamelic in Hebrew became Regulus in Latin 
and the king in English, which is a star permanently positioned between the feet of the constellation Ariel, Leo the lion. The planets, which in Greek is wandering star, are the hour and minute hands on the prophetic time clock. The names of the individual stars in the constellation of Betula, such as Tzemach, the branch, is spoken of five times in the Hebrew scriptures, all in unmistakable reference to the Messiah. That is why the constellation of Betula has been illustrated as having five branches in her hand. It is not the shape of the stars that make up the constellations, it is the names of the stars that tell a story that has been passed down through every civilized culture on the planet. The planet Hatsetic, the righteous, has become known in the pagan world as Jupiter, an imaginary god. Though the names changed at Babel, the meaning of the names remained the same throughout the world, unless pagans changed them. The story in the pages of the Hebrew scriptures and the story in the heavens are one and the same, the story of our creator and his eternal plan for mankind. Psalm 147.4 tells us, he numbered the stars and called them all by their names. It is the Almighty that named the stars and their constellations, and he taught the names to Adam long before the flood of Noah. That is why the meaning of the stars were known by all mankind and remained the same in every language throughout the earth. Psalm 19, verse one tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, the firmament utters speech, and night unto night, the heavens show knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The lost antiquity in the pagan world and discarded in the modern age of feel-good religious cycle babble and biblical ignorance, the names of the stars and their constellations communicate his plan from the heavens before his story unfolds upon the earth. Today, the Western world is far more familiar with occult astrology, which has corrupted these divine signs and turned them into a personal horoscope. But the stars tell nothing of your personal life. They speak of eternal life. The book of the Revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, the book often miscalled Revelations, contains a parenthetical chapter that begins with the great sign in the heavens that heralded the upcoming birth of the Messiah. This is one of the seven conjunctions that the Chaldean astronomers observed in the east that caused them to travel west to the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Judea. Revelation 12, verse one. There appeared a great sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the new moon under her feet, and above her head a crown of 12 stars. Being great with child, she cried, agonizing in labor, about to give birth. Verse five, and she brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. In the 25th year of the reign of Caesar Augustus, the year in which everyone in the Roman Empire was required to go to his home of record and register their support for naming Octavius Augustus the father of the Roman Empire, just after sunset, on September 12th, 3 BCE, while the sky was clothed with light, 
five minutes after sunset, the first sliver of the new moon, 4% illuminated, seven degrees above the horizon, appeared beneath the feet of the constellation of the woman, Betula, Virgo, the Virgin. In the constellation of Arie, Leo, the Lion, positioned in the heavens just above her head, the planet Hatzedek, the Righteous, came into conjunction with the star Hamelik, the King, which is positioned between the front feet of the constellation of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That evening, upon the sighting of the new moon, thousands of trumpets all over the land of Israel announced the feast of the Lord that occurs each year on a day and hour that no man can calculate in advance, the day of trumpets. And the astronomical display in the constellation above the head of the woman heralded the upcoming birth of the righteous king, the lion who comes from the tribe of Judah. This great sign in heaven occurred as Miriam herself was about to give birth, just as Revelation 12:2 proclaimed. Just 15 days later, at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, she brought forth the male child who was destined to rule all nations with a rod of iron and absolute justice. It was on the first day of Sukkot, the high Sabbath of the Feast of Tabernacles, that the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Hey boys, grab all the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that you can get your hands on. We're gonna follow that floating star until it stops. Over a baby in a manger. It's winter in ancient Judea, and Yeshua is teaching in the Dead Sea Valley. While teaching, he is invited to dinner with a group of Pharisees where they notice that he is not adhering to their man-made ritual hand-washing. What results is a war of words that will eventually lead to Yeshua's crucifixion. This month, Michael Rood presents The Season of Our Insult, a new teaching on the difference between true righteousness and its man-made counterfeit. He doesn't wash his hands. He marveled? No, he was offended. The Season of Our Insult is an all-new teaching from Michael Rood, part of a 20-episode Love Gift teaching series. But the only way you can get it is with your Love Gift donation in February. And Yeshua said, You Pershing clean the outside of the cup and platter, but inside you are full of gluttony and excess. You fools! Own the season of our insult right now when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more. Or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus an alabaster jar and a supply of anointing oil infused with the wonderful scent of frankincense. A daily reminder of Yeshua's words that how we portray ourselves on the outside must be the same as how we are on the inside. Get the alabaster jar, the anointing oil, and Michael Rood's eye-opening teaching on Yeshua's example of true righteousness, the season of our insult. All these things that you need, you'll have, but you pursue the kingdom. Do what he told you to do. Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, the season of our insult, plus the alabaster jar and anointing oil. Hurry, this offer is only available in February. Make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. Michael Rood's Message of Truth is broadcast all over the world 
But none of it happens without the monthly financial support of our Ambassador Club members. And right now, membership has more benefits than ever. I'm giving into a ministry that is helping to feed other people that have the same hunger that I do. Join now and Michael Rood will send you the Ambassador Club Welcome Kit, an exclusive messenger bag stocked with teaching DVDs, Red Sea Crossing cards, and more. You'll also receive ambassador-only bonus gifts whenever you make a separate donation to receive the monthly love gift. Best of all, you'll get ambassador-only sale prices in our online bookstore several times throughout the year. Plus, exclusive invitations to Ambassador Club functions at a Rude Awakening events. All it takes is a modest commitment of $100 per month or an annual gift of $1,200. Call now or visit the Rude Awakening website to join the Ambassador Club. The Chaldean astronomers traveled for months in a large armed caravan to reach the capital city of Judea with their treasure. They did not look up into the sky one night and say, hmm, hey boys, grab all the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that you can get your hands on. We're gonna follow that floating star until it stops over a baby in a manger. No, they knew the story in the stars. Daniel was in charge of the astronomers of Babylon for more than 60 years. Many, if not most of whom were Jews who stayed in Babylon after the door opened for the return to the homeland. The angel Gabriel gave Daniel specific revelation that he was commanded to seal up. It was for him and him alone to act on. Daniel was already made a wealthy man by three emperors. Daniel was a eunuch who had no offspring to whom he could bequeath his wealth. Daniel was given the time parameters of when the Messiah would come. Who but righteous Daniel would put his personal treasure in the hands of generation of Jewish astronomers, instructing them to lay his personal treasure at the feet of their future king. Genesis 49.10 tells us that Yaakov, Israel, on his deathbed, prophesied over his son Judah. The scepter, the king, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, the Messiah, comes. I have no doubt that Daniel was given the astronomical details of that which occurred in the heavens in the year three to two BCE, the 25th year of the reign of Caesar Augustus. The 19th day of the fifth month on the Hebrew calendar was Thursday, August 1st, 3 BCE on the Julian calendar, which was the official calendar of the Roman Empire that was initiated exactly 42 years and seven months earlier. That night, the planet Jupiter, Hatsetic, the righteous, came into conjunction with Nogal, Venus, as it headed on a direct course toward Hamelic the king star between the feet of the Lion of Judah. The eye of every astronomer was fixed on the heavens. Less than two months later, on Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets, his star, Hatzedek, came into conjunction with Hamelech between the feet of the lion for the first of four times. The first day of the seventh month, 
Thursday, September 12, 3 BCE, was the day that the birth of the righteous king, the line of the tribe of Judah, was announced to the nation of Israel with the blast of the shofar from every mountaintop in the land. The third conjunction of his star occurred five months later when Hatzedek, the righteous, once again came into conjunction with Hamelech, the king, on the 11th day of the 12th month, Monday, February 17th. We have now stepped over the line into the year 2 BCE. Now, please hang in there with me. This will all make sense in a minute. Three months later, his star, Hatzedek, the righteous, again came into conjunction with Hamelech, the king, on the third day of the second month, Thursday, May 8th. A month later, his star, Hatzedek, came into conjunction with Nogah on the 14th day of the third month, Tuesday, June 17th. The sixth conjunction of his star occurred when Hatzedek came into a mass conjunction with Kobab, Mercury, Nogah, Venus, and Ma'adin, Mars, on the 26th day of the fifth month, Wednesday, August 27th. The seventh conjunction was the signal for the Jewish astronomers to leave Babylon and head west for Jerusalem with the treasure Daniel set aside for the king of the Jews. On the 13th day of the seventh month, two days before the Feast of Sukkot, his star, Hatzedek, came into conjunction with Nogah for the third time in just over a year. The date, Monday, October 13th, 2 BCE. 10 days later, after the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacles and Hashanah Rabbah, the last great day, the astronomers departed for the Judean capital in search of the child king. The astronomers met with King Herod on Friday, December 19th, just two days before the final conjunction of his star and their hasty departure from Israel back to Babylon. Before we look at the final conjunction of his star, let us roll back the clock just one year and go to Bethlehem where Yosef and Miriam are making preparations for the redemption of Miriam's firstborn son. Yehovah, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation. When Yeshua was invited to dinner with Pharisees, he rejected their man-made ritual hand-washing, an insult that would lead to his crucifixion. He doesn't wash his hands. He marveled? No, he was offended. The season of our insult is an all-new teaching from Michael Rood, but the only way you can get it is with your love gift donation in February. Own the season of our insult right now when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus an alabaster jar and a supply of anointing oil infused with a wonderful scent of frankincense. And Yeshua said, you Pershim clean the outside of the cup and platter, but inside you are full of gluttony and excess. You fools! Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, The Season of Our Insult, plus the alabaster jar and anointing oil. Hurry, make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. When the 40 days of Miriam's purification were fulfilled, 
According to the Torah of Moses, they brought Yeshua to Jerusalem to present him to Yahovah. They offered a sacrifice for Miriam's purification according to the Torah of Yahovah, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. According to Leviticus 12, one through eight, Miriam's postpartum purification offering was to be presented to the priest at the gate before she was allowed to go into the temple. The instructions from Moses specify that she bring her offerings on the 40th day, which is now the 24th day of the eighth month, Monday, November 4th, 3 BCE, more than a year before the astronomers arrive at the door of their home in Bethlehem. Luke tells us that Miriam brought the poor man's sacrifice, which is further evidence that the treasure from Daniel's emissaries has not yet arrived. While Miriam and Yosef were in the temple, the confirmation of the prophecies spoken to both of them were again confirmed by two respected prophetic voices. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon. He was righteous and devout, and he awaited the coming of the Comforter of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah of Yehovah. Shimon came by the Spirit into the temple when Miriam and Yosef brought in the child Yeshua to redeem him according to the instructions of the Torah. As it is written in the Torah of Yehovah, every male that opens the womb shall be called Kadosh, holy to Yehovah. Shimon took him up in his arms and blessed the Almighty. Yehovah, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all mankind, a light to illuminate the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Yosef and Miriam marveled at those things which were spoken by Shimon, and Shimon blessed them also and said to Miriam, listen carefully. This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for an ensign which shall be spoken against. Truth, I say to you, a sword shall also pierce through your soul, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Then a prophetess also came in, Hannah, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old at least 105, having been married to her only husband for seven years and now widowed nearly 84 years. She never left the temple but served night and day with prayer and fasting. She came in at that very moment and also gave thanks to Yahovah and spoke about Yeshua to all those in Jerusalem who anticipated the coming redemption. Finally, Luke 2, verse 39, summarizes the events surrounding Yeshua's birth. When they had performed all the requirements according to the Torah of Yehovah, they returned to the Galilee, to their own village, Nazareth. This verse is one of the summary statements that punctuate Luke's entire gospel record, as well as his book of Acts. After all the requirements of the Torah were fulfilled, they eventually 
return to Netzeret, but not before their escape into Egypt, which occurred more than a year later. It is Matthew's gospel that documents the visit of the Chaldean astronomers, the flight of the family into Egypt in their plan to return to Beit Lechem after the death of Herod. But because of trouble with Herod's son Archelaus, their plans to settle in Beit Lechem were aborted and they returned to their hometown in the Galilee where Yeshua grew to manhood. We leave Luke's summary statement and go directly to Matthew who picks up the story of the Chaldean astronomers. After Yeshua was born in Beit Lechem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, astronomers from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to pay homage to him. Regardless the millions of manger scenes that depict three wise men on the night of the birth of Yeshua, Matthew tells us that it was in the days of Herod the king and after Yeshua was born that the astronomers came to Jerusalem. How long after? One can only know by the astronomical details of the final conjunction of his star. It was the details of that final sighting that delighted the astronomers on the morning that they made their five-mile excursion to Bethlehem. Matthew gives us astronomically accurate details that can be reproduced with astonishing precision. We are able to pinpoint the day of their arrival on Friday, December 19th, 2 BCE, the 21st day of the ninth month, just four days before Hanukkah. They rested in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day and were given a revelation dream that night, instructing them to leave the country of Israel by another route. The following morning, the first day of the week, their pre-dawn celestial observations caused their hearts to leap for joy. The final sign of his star in the heavens stood in retrograde motion directly over the village of Beit Lechem as viewed from the city gate of Jerusalem. Within hours, Yosef and family will escape to Egypt, provisioned with Daniel's treasure that will sustain them through the turbulent times ahead. 